he says that, that was really sweet. Um, hey, I love the family gathers. I love this time that we get to spend together in August. Um, because when your family gets together, you get to eat, right? I don't know about your house, but we like to eat. So um, ushers, will you bring the snacks? Because I've heard some stomachs growling already. I know lunch isn't too far away, but uh, snacks are yummy. So take some of those, pass them down, and enjoy them. Please don't throw them at me. We do that at the youth center, but we don't have to do that here. Um, while we're doing that, I want to introduce you to my family. Since we're a church family, I'd like to introduce you to my personal family. So I have a picture of them. Uh, that's us in Georgia. When we went back there this summer, we moved here to Oregon about five and a half years ago. And so that's my husband, Steve, in the really cool glasses. He's the runner man of the family and is training for Hood to Coast in two weeks and doing his thing. We've been married for 21 years. He's pretty amazing. Um, yay. Uh, sitting next to me, that's my daughter, Kaylee. She is going into sixth grade this year, and so we're in that cool transition to middle school in our family. Um, and also, we're excited because we're going to get to spend more time together doing church stuff together. So we're really excited about getting to do that. And then we have our son Noah in the really cool glasses there. He's the real gift of laughter to us. He always makes us laugh and is currently into learning magic tricks. And so if you come to our house, know that the cards or the rubber bands or something will come out, and he will amaze you was something. Um, the kids also wanted you to or wanted me to introduce you to the newest member of our family. This is Mo. We've waited a long time to get a new puppy, and so this is Mo. And he's five months old and is really cute and cuddly, but he's also started to show us how he can chew and how he can dig almost into the neighbor's yard, <laughs> like he did yesterday when he was digging by the fence, and we found this nice two-foot hole where his head was kind of halfway stuck under and he almost went to visit the neighbors. But um, that's our family. Hi, family. All right, um, I love them. I will be distracted by them. Uh, last week, Susan started us in this new series called The Followers, reminding us and encouraging us in the fact that we are all disciples. We're all followers of Christ, that we're in this community, this family together. And over the next couple of weeks, we're gonna look at three different ways that we need to engage in this discipleship process, using our hands, using our heads, and using our hearts. And so today we're gonna to be looking at how do we engage our hands in discipleship? What does God call us to? And so if you will, turn in your Bibles with me. We're gonna be looking at Mark chapter 12. If you have your own your Bible, flip there. If you have one of the pew Bibles or one of the rack Bibles right in front of you, you're turning to page 1598. So go to 1600, that's more round, and then flip back a page. And we'll be in Mark 12 together. We're gonna to start in chapter, oh, sorry, chapter 12, verse 28. Jesus was being questioned by some religious leaders in the area, and here's the question they asked. They said, of all the commandments, which is the most important? And Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. Susan started us off right last week in talking about what it means to be a disciple, what it means to be a follower. She really engaged us in what the first commandment is all about, that each of us hopefully will come to this point where we love God, 
and that we love him and want to serve him with all that we are. But the second commandment is so closely tied to that, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. I think Jesus came not so that we would just feel different. I think Jesus came so that we would be different. I don't know about you, but I find a lot of times in our students and other conversations where people are like, I just want to feel like God is there. Kind of like Isabel talked about in the video where it's kind of hard to put this tangible touch on who God is. And, and we long for that feeling, that, that proof that this Jesus thing that we do is real. The cool thing is that we have to remember that God created us, and he created us to be very unique and individual people. He created us with our personality, with our temperament, with the things that we like, with our favorite cookie, with our favorite kind of music, with the kind of clothes that we like. He created us with our hair color and our eye color. He created us with things that we can do well, like play music or play sports. All those different things he gave us. He made a part of us. We also come to recognize in being followers of his that we were made in his image. And when you mirror those two things together, it's a pretty cool thing because we have the creator of the universe who made us with all these cool things about us and we were made in his image. And so when you put those two things together, we become the very best version of, our person, of ourselves that we can possibly become. And it is in that place where the second greatest commandment of serving others really comes into light. How we serve ultimately reflects our understanding of who God is and his love for us and other people. Because as we get closer to him, we begin to understand what's important to him. And what's important to him are the people that he created. The people that he came to earth to love and to serve and to die for. Some of the students already talked about some of the missions trips that we got to do this summer, and one of my favorite things that we get to do in student ministries is take students away to serve. And so one of the trips we took was with our eighth graders, and we went to Seattle. And the place that we got to serve was a 40,000-square-foot distribution warehouse. I mean, this place was big. I don't know what you call those scaffolding rack things that go from floor to ceiling, but those were full of pallets of supplies and stuff. And we had been there last summer to serve, and we got to take some of those supplies and put them in backpacks to be distributed to kids in the community. And so we kind of prepped our students that that was what we were going to get to do. But whatever they called us to, we were there to serve. So we get there, and they give us a little orientation, and then they say, okay, we need some of you to help us with some boxes of books, because these books are going to go to schools in the area. And they were like, great, we'll go. And they jump up, and they head off in this direction. And then there's the rest of us sitting there, and they say, okay, the rest of you, you guys get to sweep and mop the warehouse. <laughs> really? Uh-huh, come on. Okay, we're here to serve. So we go and we grab those really long brooms and mops and get water and we start mopping and sweeping. <laughs> we're finding dust bunnies under these pallets, like we're using these pallet jacks to lift up these really heavy crates of supplies and pulling them out and like you have dust bunnies or cobwebs in your house. Yeah, no, these were like dust bunny rats that had dust bunny families and I mean it was pretty awful and about halfway into it or about half hour into it, I'll be honest, I went and I found Sean, our other middle school pastor and I'm like, 
this is not what I was expecting. <laughs> like, I thought we would do something else. I'm like, what can we do to make this fun? So we started having races down the aisles, taking the brooms and seeing who could run down and back the fastest, thinking that'll help this go. Or we would clean us one section of a row and time ourselves and say, okay, let's see if we can beat that time, have like our own world record competition to see if we could clean this next section faster. And that was fun. And it was just after we did one of those, there's one of our students, and he's lifting up this pallet jack, and he pulls this thing of supplies out, and he looks up, and he's like, this is the best vacation ever! <laughs> I'm like, really? This is awesome! I'm like, okay, why is that? He's like, I was made for this. He says, I was made to serve. And I feel closer to God right now than I ever have before. I was made for this. We were made for this. We as the church, as followers of Jesus, were made to serve other people. And I love what it says in Philippians 2 because it's kind of this mirror image of understanding what service really could and should be like for us. It says this, starting in Philippians 2, verse 2. It says, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Let me time out there. Remember that whole idea of, like, do you feel it? I feel like that's what Paul is saying right here. It's like, do you want to feel that this Jesus thing that you're doing, that this life that you're living is real and making a difference? Then here's how to do it. This is what you should be. And he encourages them with these words. He says, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. And it goes on to talk about how Jesus humbled himself when he came from heaven down to earth to live among us and to serve it's interesting, though, when you look at the original language for some of these statements, because it'd be easy to say, like, okay, don't be selfish, you know, take it easy, be kind, don't do something that you might get something out of. No, these were imperative statements. Like, when you look at the original language, it's like, don't even think about doing this in a selfish way. Don't think about what you're going to gain out of it. Don't think about the promotion that you could get. Don't think about the reward that you can earn. Don't think about the friendship that you might gain. Don't think about changing mom and dad's mind because if you do that, they might change their mind about something you really wanted to do. Our heart and our attitude is supposed to be the same that Christ Jesus had. And that was to love and to serve because he loved them. I know today in society there's lots of people serving in lots of different ways, right? I mean, if you fill out a job application, you put down kind of how you volunteer. Or on college applications, it's really good to show that you volunteered in lots of places. Lots of schools are requiring service hours of students. You even watch TV sometimes and you're seeing this really cool story about some social justice issue. And then at the very end, you see some company logo show up in like the bottom left-hand corner, right? And I'm saying all those things are good. It is great that we're serving, and yet, on the other hand, can I challenge us to think that that might not really be what service is all about? In a lot of cases, that's really more about self-promotion. 
Like we're not supposed to be motivated. Service is not supposed to be motivated by what we get out of it. When service is self-motivated, it tends to be sporadic. It's performed when it's convenient or when we want to look good to other people. John Wesley once said one time, doing good when you feel like it is the doctrine of the devil. Ouch. See, sometimes we can be totally focused on the task at hand or it just showing up somewhere and thinking that we're serving because we're there, that we forget the reason that we're serving in the first place. Jesus, on the other hand, served because he loved. That was his motivation. And I love this quote that I read this week from Teresa of Avilia that helps me to think about what I get to do and not just what I have to do. And it says this, it says, Christ has no body now on earth but yours, no hands but yours, no feet but yours. Yours are the eyes through which the compassion of Christ is to look out on a hurting world. Yours are the feet with which he is to go about doing good. Yours are the hands with which he is to bless now. That's what he calls us to. And I got to see that in a great way on another event that we had in Seattle where we went and we served at a place called Bread of Life. It's really similar to Union Gospel Mission here in town. And we went to serve lunch. And one of the girls from our team went up and handed this woman, one of their customers, a tray of food. And in the midst of it says, hi, how are you doing today? And this woman was shocked. Like did not know how to respond. Not because... There was this tray of food in front of her where she didn't like it, not because there was some language barrier or because she had some mental ability that kept her from understanding. She was shocked because she hadn't been asked this question in years. Years. That she is a walking and living person had not been asked just, how are you doing today? See, at the very moment, God wanted that woman to know that she was important, that she was seen, that she was valued. And he chose to use a person from our team who lived in Salem, Oregon, who happened to be in Seattle that day serving a tray of food. He used her to show his love because she was willing and available to go and ask one simple question. Jesus had moments like that all the time in his ministry. Susan shared one last week when she talked about when the disciples were kind of trying to push the kids out of the way when they were all trying to get close. And Jesus said, no, let the kids come to me. And I'll be honest, when I hear that story, I think of this great political season that we're getting ready to enter, right? And you think of the photo opportunities, like I can see when there's like this big crowd of people, there's probably some media PR person in the back going, all right, you see that family? The one with the baby with the really cute pink hat? Yeah, that one. No, actually, go to the one with the, with the cute little monkey blanket. Let's do that. Bring them up really, really close. No, closer, closer, closer. Okay, wait, right there. He's coming. Get the picture. Get the picture. Okay, good, good, good. Get that on the 6 o'clock news, right? Like, there's some motivation to getting this great moment with kids. But that's not what Jesus was about that day when he called the kids close. Jesus wanted to speak value into them. He wanted to look them in the eye and hug them and rub the top of their head or to speak value into them. And he wanted everybody within eyeshot or earshot to know the exact same thing about them. Think about when Lazarus died. Jesus went and met with Mary and Martha. And he listened to them and he let them vent and ask questions and try to understand and he let them cry and he cried with them. Or at the Last Supper, Jesus did say very significant things to his disciples, but he also took a moment to stop and humble himself and wash the nasty, 
dirty, gross feet of every single person in the room. Now, Jesus had all a power and authority in every one of those situations where he could have handled it different. He could have just spoken about the value of children and how they should be loved and cared for and admired and encouraged to be the church of today. He could have just healed Lazarus when he found out that he was sick, right? He just kind of avoided the whole dead thing. He could have said to the disciples sitting at dinner, oh, by the way, look under the table, your feet are clean. Right? He could have just spoken that into being, but he didn't. Jesus came to serve, and in every single one of those places, in every single one of those opportunities, Jesus did something real and simple and practical to show his love for those people. The Bible says later in, John, in the book of John that there are so many things that Jesus did that if they were all written down, the world can contain all the books that would be written about it. There are so many stories that we do not know about Jesus' life that showed these true senses of love and compassion to other people. And right after Jesus washed the disciples' feet, he said something very significant that we need to remember is that your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Now, I know that there's a lot of big problems in the world, and God is genuinely caring and longing for those things to be solved. There are people who are hungry. There are people who are homeless. There are injustices that are happening all across the globe, and those things are close to the Father's heart. We need to be a part of seeking those answers and being the solutions to those things. But can I also say that we need to daily, hourly be involved in being the love and compassion of Jesus to other people. It could be you hear someone's having a rough day and you just send them a text. Or you see a status pop up, pop up on Facebook and you call them. It could just be that you invite people over for dinner or you just walk into a coworker's office because you could tell they're having a hard day and you want to encourage them. It could just be that you volunteer somewhere. But honestly, it's not a just moment. It's not just anything. It's, it's those hoped-for moments and planned situations where, where God's love is given so greatly. It's in those moments of interruption or in those places where you just kind of fall into being with someone where you're like, there is no place I would rather be right now. There is nothing I would rather be doing than to be here and doing this with you where people get to experience God's love firsthand through us. It's that moment, that action, that thing that we do with our hands, inspired by our hearts, that's a holy moment where the love and compassion of God is felt in a tangible way because we were willing to not let that moment slip by. What you do matters. How you love matters. How you serve matters. Now, some of you might be sitting here going, that is not me, that's really, really hard. Guess what? You were made for this. For some of you are like, I don't know, I feel like I'm doing a lot, I really do, I feel good about it. Guess what? We could probably do more. We are not too old, we are not too young, we are not too busy. We were made for this. I want to do something kind of fun with you. There's going to be a picture that's going to show up on the screen in just a second, and I want you to stare at it, not at me, at the screen. I want you to look really, really hard. Let's go ahead and put that picture up. I want you to stare really, really hard at this picture. 
By now, if you're looking hard enough with your eyes open up wide enough, you see there's kind of like this red box square thing right in the middle, and I want you to stare at it. Don't blink. Keep your eyes open. Open them wider, 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 wider. Big, big, big. Keep looking. You can breathe while you're looking. That's a good thing. <laughs> don't forget that up, but don't look at the person next to you laughing. Keep looking. Keep looking. Keep looking. Keep looking. Keep watching. Keep watching. Did you see it? <laughs> Go USA! <laughs> I won't tell you about the basketball game. Um, I think there's times where we can see thing from one, something from one perspective. When we're looking at this picture, we see teal and yellow and black. But as we continue to look, like even right now, I can kind of see <laughs> in the midst of everything, a picture that looks totally different. God has wired us to do that. There might be situations that we come across that we look at and think that what we're getting ready to do isn't that big of a deal. But in God's scheme of things, it's incredibly significant. The reality is that there are lots of things that we can do to serve in this community. We can serve in this church. We can serve at a school, helping teachers or students. We can help kids learn how to read. So much fun. Or we can help teachers grade papers. Or we can chaperone trips. We can talk to our neighbors. Imagine that. <laughs> there might be a new kid in town that needs someone to play with. There might be a new kid at your school this fall that needs a friend to sit with at lunch or someone just to say hi to them when they're sitting in that last row in the back hoping on one hand that someone will acknowledge them and on the other hand wish that they were somewhere else. Like you could be that person that speaks up for them and introduces them to other people. There are people on your street who want to be known. They want to be loved. There are people who don't have homes who want to be more than just a face and a food line. There could be people who you know who are in just a long-term tough situation, be it financially or medically, where they just need people to come alongside them and be a friend and offer them hope. There are students that need school supplies. There are stomachs that need to be filled. There are plenty of places where God's love needs to be shown. You see, you and I were made for this. We were made for this. We were made in God's image and his whole being oozes with love and compassion for other people. There is no job that we can do that is too big or too small to show the compassion of love to someone else. This summer we also went on another trip where we went to enter. This is our Alliance District Middle School Missions Camp. And we were with about 250 people from Oregon, Washington, and Idaho serving. And we could do lots of different service projects during the course of the day. And one day, we got to go to this park called Falcon Crest Park. It's smack dab in the middle of a neighborhood. And we got to spread bark dust. Love it. Um, we had shovels and rags and stuff. You can't really tell from this picture, but this pile was literally about three people tall. Um, I can't imagine the truck that brought this in. It covered up the slides and the stairs and the bridges and everything, so we couldn't really play. We just had to get to work, which was great. I mean, it was 10 o'clock in the morning when we got there, and kind of crazy, in the middle of the summer at 10 o'clock, there was no one outside playing, but we jumped right into it, got right to work, and about an hour into the project, um, this man came up, and his name was Kevin, and he's like, hi, I live here in the neighborhood, and I want to write an article in the paper about what you guys are doing. 
okay, sure, what's up? He's like, well, can you tell me who you are and why you're here? And so we tell him about the camp, and we tell him kind of the tagline, which is to love God and serve others, and so that we were just really grateful to have this opportunity to serve in their community. And he says, you have no idea what kind of impact you're making today. And in our minds, we're thinking, oh, we're giving you a great place and a safe place for your kids to play, and you can connect with neighbors, and it's really, really good. And he proceeds to tell us something we didn't know, that his neighborhood had been a very dark and sad place. Because 10 days before we got there, there was a tragedy that took the lives of every member of a family that lived just three houses down from the park. They were sad. They were depressed. They were asking questions. And then the next line that he said to us was this. He says, you are bringing light and life back into this neighborhood. And all we were doing was spreading a bunch of bark dust. We may see things as seemingly insignificant moments. And God sees them as amazing moments where he can show his love to other people. I'm going to go back to Mark 12 for just a minute. After Jesus had answered the question of these religious leaders, the leader that had asked the question replied with this. He said, well said, teacher. You have spoken the truth by saying that there is only one God and no other. And I know it is important to love him with all of my heart and all my understanding and my strength and to love my neighbor as myself. This is more important than to offer all of the burnt offerings and sacrifices required in the law. Realizing how much the man understood, Jesus said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. When we serve God and serve other people for him, we are not far from the kingdom of God and we are not far from the king. We are created for this. We are created to be in a relationship with him. We are created to serve him. And as a result, we get to go closer to him in the process. Let's pray. God, I love how personal you are, how tangible you are. And can I just acknowledge the fact that we are each truly humbled, surprised, sometimes even scared about the fact that, that you choose to use us to serve other people. Like it's exciting and overwhelming at the same time. God, I don't think it's a surprise that each one of us are in the room today because you want each of us to know that these are the things that are important to you. That there's a way that you want to use each and every one of us to impact the world around us and to show your love. And so, God, I want to give us a minute to do that. Will you, a personal God, in this next moment, will you give us a name or a word or a picture or a place, or a task, something that it is that you want us to do to show your love to someone else.
God, thank you for that direction and wisdom. I pray that you would give each of us the boldness and the courage to follow through with that opportunity. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.